we have bake baby we always come back for the like bad events in the world um I, well, let's do our little intro when was the last time have we to remember that? who we are for covid <laughs> what's covid <laughs> okay you're bobbing around a lot she's bobbing and weaving folks. my my head <laughs> yeah sorry okay this is she's in russia i'm smith and i'm in I'm wherever the fuck I want to be, okay? So you got their business. Oh, suddenly she's <laughs> pseudo-anonymous. Uh-huh. <laughs> suddenly she cares about privacy, I see. Okay, um, I'm Lele, <clears throat> also known as Olivia, for my mm-hmm. international friends, um, and my passport. And my <laughs> passport knows me as Olivia. <laughs> and I'm currently located in... Beautiful, sunny St. Petersburg, Russia. Okay. So the problem is we're excited to talk to each other, <laughs> which is why we sound happy, but the topic is sad. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I am, re- yeah, I'm, I'm here in the land of the, the aggressor. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Not that I want to get that narrative going too much, but <laughs> yeah, Simidi, so, so... I have a couple of things that I want to, like, make sure we, like, I get out in this conversation. Okay. Like, a couple of points that I want to make sure I make um, to make this make, make this worth it kind of for me. Um, you know what I mean, Okay. Right? And we, we should say we're recording this on Thursday, February 24th, and I'm going to, I'm just going to try to release it, like, almost immediately. After I cleaned it up a bit, so. Okay. Yeah, because obviously time. everything we say, even like in an hour, will probably be outdated. <laughs> but yeah. Well, that's why I, I, the situation in Ukraine is moving really fast and I don't want to, in and around Ukraine, I should say, and I don't want to like, I don't, it's not that I want to like give you like the news, but I kind of, yeah. I have like some premises that I would like to get out, um, which are giving a little historical context, like things I see missing in the mainstream media. Uh, there's always, this is always missing in mainstream Western media about Russia, like usually, or about former Soviet um, states. But there's always something missing. But right now for the Ukrainian situation, crisis, the things that are missing that I see are historical context, um, historical context, like, any geopolitical understanding of what's been going on in Ukraine for the past eight years, and like that it's mm-hmm. not just like Ukraine, a whole country that is called Ukraine with a flag. Um, and the other thing I think that's not being represented in Western media in English that I've seen, and not being represented. Well, definitely not in Ukrainian media, but like not being represented enough even in, I would say, Russian media, is the perspective of people from Eastern Ukraine, from the, the self-declared separated republics, Donbass, also known as Donbass. So those are the two things that I want to like be able to cover. But I felt like maybe, maybe to start, um, do you want to ask me questions? Um, no. I'll ask you questions as we go. <laughs> Shit, I wanted to warm up. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I guess 
No, I don't. I don't have any questions to ask you. Okay, I'll, well, I'll ask as we go. Sorry, I had to put my cup down. Um, we've talked about Ukraine before, right? We've talked about like some history of the crisis, haven't we? Well, yeah, we we did an episode on Crimea, and we also went when we saw that like propaganda movie. We talked about it then. Okay, that's good because like. People should go back to our to those. repertoire and yeah. have a listen because I think it mm-hmm. gives important context, like much more detail than we can give in this one episode um, yeah. about like some of the history. But I don't know. I mean, like, let's just start with the basics because I think that's really missing right now in reporting. Right now in reporting, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of present, I'm seeing a lot of like, blah, something's happening, Ukrainian or Russian border, like Russia troops, like it's all about Russia, the aggressor. The narrative that's been created by the US government and its allies and Ukrainian government, official Ukrainian government, is strong. It's a very strong, like um, very one-sided narrative, which is the, this, that we were all just like doing our thing and then Russia, the aggressor, just like built up troops on the on the border and is like, trying to like, is preparing an, in, I'm sorry, excuse me, what my mind, is preparing a quote unquote invasion of peaceful whole Ukraine. So mm. that strong, this, I don't mean it's strong in the sense that it's a good narrative, I just mean that it's like really present and um, pervasive and really, really not telling the full story. So if we start with the basics, the basics is that the state that, you know, the post-Soviet country of Ukraine has been undergoing a geopolitical crisis since 2014. Arguably, like, things start before that, but, like, we can say 2014 is <laughs> the date. Um, and there's things that people have probably heard that, like, initiated or were part of that crisis, like the Maidan protest slash revolution slash coup, however, whichever way you're looking at it, um, different ways, um, slash coordinated, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of perspectives on what Maidan was, but the Maidan movement or whatever event in 2014 in Kiev, which is Maidan, um, just the name of the big square in Kiev, and that's the name of the square, it means square. Um, no, that's not the name of the square. Sorry, it's the Square of Independence. But like, my am not just saying okay. square. <laughs> square, square. Square, square. People just—it's like the short, short way of referring to it because it's the main one. Um, and they in Ukrainian, all, it means square. Yeah, and then you've also okay. probably heard of Crimea, the annexation of Crimea. <laughs> Another big thing I that happened. I think I have. <laughs> so, so, it's like. These things all started in 2014, and when you look at the conflict, the heat, the like most um, hot part of the conflict that started in 2014 happened between the years of 2014 and 2016. So having a little history lesson, like it's been happening the whole past eight years, but the most hot times, um, violent times, deadly times were between 2014 and 2016 on the territory of formerly one country, Ukraine, but specifically on the territory of Donbass, which is a region in eastern Ukraine. And all this conflict um, 
has been, yeah, taking place not not all over Eastern Ukraine, but like during those worst times, sometimes like there there was fighting in like a more spread out area. But like there's just like this zone that's been kind of moving around, and that the fighting has been contained in basically for the past eight years. Um, and can, can you give a little like a cultural background to the people that live in that area? Yeah. So like historically um so like ukraine has been through many many things in its history and many changes but it's been part of multiple empires and under different spheres of influence like many countries in europe all countries in europe and um the western part of ukraine roughly is kind of more was at one point under polish rule and like the Everything there from culture to language, the, even the dialects of Ukrainian there um, are kind of more influenced, I would say, by like the countries around that part. So Poland it would be like the empire, but then there's other smaller countries there. Um, and then historically, the eastern part of Ukraine, that I'll also just interchangeably refer to as Donbass, that's the name of the region, is um, more like under, so definitely under the Russian Empire, the whole country was part of the Russian Empire, but uh, the borders have shifted, but it's more like Russian-speaking um, people who, I wouldn't use the word like ethnically Russian anymore. Um, now that I've been like dating someone from that region for a long time, I just, I don't think it's that like <laughs> black. <laughs> definitely not a Russian. <laughs> it's just not that black and white. It's not like there's yeah. a bunch of ethnic Russians living in yeah. this. It's not, and I, I bet all of these you know, geopolitical crises where you have a small population or a part of a population within a national border who's like saying we're different and we have like, we're ethnically different or we have a different language or different culture. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure it's never as black and white as like people would have you think. Yeah. But in this case, it's not like... What the person that you're dating, it, granted, they're probably not the type to be like, I identify as this, but if they were forced to, would they just say I'm Eastern Ukrainian? Um... I think if they were forced, I think they would just say where they were from. I don't think they would, say, they would not say the phrase Eastern Ukrainian. Um, I think they could say that they were from Donbass, but okay. like they identify I'm with smooth this. Smooth-faced Roma. Wait, what? I'm a smooth-faced <laughs> Roma. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. So if we get into the eth ethnics, I mean, like his. Uh, ethnicity is a mix of like Polish and like Ukrainian, Russian, like Roma, um, and probably other things. And it's not like, it's really, that, that difference is really more a linguistic pattern kind of like people mm -hmm. are really just like growing up and at home speaking Russian in the Donbass area. Um, in the post-Soviet world, they, in school, they spoke Ukrainian because it was like, we're we're reestablishing Ukraine as a single nation and like we're not Soviet anymore. We're not going to speak like the Soviet um, international language of Russian. We're going to speak Ukrainian. So he learned okay. Ukrainian in school, but like he speaks Russian. So that's. Wait, um, and maybe this is going back too far, but prior to the Soviet Union, what language were those people speaking? Ukrainian. Okay, so let's think about this. So the order <laughs> of time here is there's the. F I don't really, honestly, I'm sorry to any like history buffs. I know there was like. 
I want to say under Polish rule or Polish empire way back. Then there's the Russian empire. I know about the Russian empire. Um, uh, And under the Russian empire, people are probably still regionally speaking different languages. So um, with Russian being like the official international right. okay so this this region was part of the russian empire prior to the soviet union yeah so was all of ukraine i don't know the exact okay. drawing of the border but so was like most of present-day ukraine okay, like okay russian got empire. It, got it. so and then like, ukraine has like such an interesting history it has a very like jewish connected history because catherine the great when the russian empire was a thing um basically under her she basically like at that time it wasn't called ukraine it was called like little russia mala russia mm-hmm. and she and at some point, she created the Pale of Settlement. I think she created it. Again, I'm sorry. Um, where, which is, like, where all the, like, Jews are supposed to live. Like, a region where... <laughs> Jewish people. Eastern European Jewish people are supposed to live and not really, like... I mean, I guess there's exceptions, but, like, like business is supposed to be done within these, like, borders. You're not supposed to, like... Like, go sit in this pail and don't come out. <laughs> okay, why is it called the Pale of Settlement? A topic for another time. But basically, okay. before before the Soviet Union, you know, you have these like Jewish cultural centers like Kharkov, which is uh, pretty far east. It, it's currently a zone of conflict right now, but it hasn't been for the past eight years. It's been like on the Russian, I mean, on the Ukrainian side. I'm sorry. I know okay. this is hard to follow. Kharkov was an important uh, Jewish city center, cultural center, Odessa. Um, and, like, communities, people who there could speak different languages depending on, yeah, their, like, culture. So they could speak, like, Yiddish, for example. Um, and also, probably, they spoke Russian. Uh, so, yeah, Ukrainian as a language has different, like, dialects and everything. But I would say it's more associated with, like, the Western part. Um, Lvov. And, like... You know my experience of being in Kiev very recently. I was expecting because of the past seven, eight years of this like very um, this this split in the country, this like mm. this not only cultural split but violence with this like arguably civil war that's been going on. I would expect that the like Ukraine officially Ukrainian parts of Ukraine, like Kiev, um, people would be speaking that the language kind of symbolism or like signification would be really important. So people would be speaking Ukrainian like that. Right. Like, that's you, like you would have, you anticipated that it would be like perceived as rude or something for you to be speaking Russian. Yeah. Like I anticipated it would be like a faux pas or just like rude or maybe like even offensive or like violent or something for me to just yeah. come in and be speaking Russian. And it really wasn't. So that was a surprising thing for me like last year um, mm. was that everyone speaks Russian, most, the majority of people, um, they maybe started speaking to me in Ukrainian, but would switch to Russian when I, they understood that I couldn't speak Ukrainian. So it's like, they're, they're like, do, they're bilingual people. Um, yeah. And I part. can't remember, I can't remember if this is something you told me you experienced in person when you were there, or you just heard about it, that like people often maybe speak Russian, but like with a Ukrainian, like they'll change words to sound more Ukrainian, even though they're speaking Russian. Yeah, that's a thing. Okay. That's and you cool. saw that. You heard that in person. Yeah, to me, yeah, I've heard that before. It's really, it's hard for me to differentiate because, like, I mm-hmm. can't fully understand. I guess, like, if people are speaking, I think it's called 
Surzik. If they're speaking that mix of Ukrainian or, or, and Russian, it's a mix or it's like a Ukrainianized Russian, um, it, like, it maybe sounds easier for me to understand potentially. It's, it's almost okay. like speaking Russian with like a Ukrainian accent because there's different pronunciations of the vowels and stuff. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, that's really common, especially for people who are from like Eastern Ukraine and aren't necessarily like, they don't, they're not, their native language isn't Ukrainian. Their native okay. language is Russian. So yeah. Okay, so but then in that case, they're just speaking Ukraine or they're, they're speaking Russian with their Ukraine. Okay. All right, no, it's not, it. it's just an accent. It's like regional dialect. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like, um, it's not, it's not intentional. It's just how they're speaking. Have I really never said my partner's name on the podcast? Am I like being? Yeah, I, I don't think you should. Okay, so partner's <laughs> grandfather, um, <laughs> my partner's grandfather. Just going to lay out his whole family tree. <laughs> no, I mean, just that's so hard. I keep trying to get him to draw it out. It's really complicated. Um, there's like two brothers and two sisters. One of them ran away, I don't know, um, <laughs> who got married to each other. Two brothers and two sisters. Isn't that crazy? Oh, Oh, well, okay. Yeah, no, that's confusing. too confusing. We're not doing that. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, one of his grandfathers, like when, when I met him, um, when I was there, like he spoke, he would just insert words sometimes that are Ukrainian. I think it's just like a, mm. like a regional local dialect. So he, he wasn't trying yeah. to not do that, basically, okay. and right. make me understand. Okay, so long story short, it's really complicated. As you can see, just like the past couple hundred years are quite complicated. And it's not, you know, like, this is such a hot topic now because, because Putin's like giving these speeches that are like basically <laughs> implying that the Ukraine was never a country or something. Um, but the, the, it's just like a true, a truism for like all of Europe is that, you know, like the transition from from empire to nation state is fairly new and like mm -hmm. borders have changed drastically over the past few hundred years. And for Ukraine, if we take Ukraine specifically, its borders have changed in the past century and then very recently. Or so Crimea, yeah. Yeah. So like Crimea coming into Ukraine, coming out of Ukraine, yeah. Eastern Ukraine. I mean, Americans love to be absolutist about borders, you know, yeah. they think they're like God given. Yeah. Something. Because they're like, even though, like, the U.S. also had, yeah. like, but they're completely... like, but we end at the ocean, so easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, once we got to the ocean, it became really clear that it's one nation it's always been, and it was, it was just created out of thin air, like that. <laughs> and then we all have this national identity. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, so I don't know if this is, like, really confusing to listen to, because I think it's really rambling, but um, over the past eight years... I would call what's been happening a civil war because half of the country, um, a huge part of the country uh, of Ukraine has been, has existed in these separated, self-declared independent republics. The People's Republics of Lugansk and the People's Republic of Donetsk. So, and there's been fighting. So, which, which are regions within Donbass? Yeah, like Lugansk and Donetsk are cities, the biggest cities um, in the eastern region of Donbass. And then they, like in 2014, separately those areas declared themselves these independent republics. Hmm. Um, hmm. Fascinating. <laughs> okay, so, so we have, so th that's the first like context because I just, when I see things like, you know, Russian troops building up 
near the border, on the border, whatever, of Ukraine, and then no context, and that it's just like been happening now. It just, it really is not the full picture. Because first of all, there might be some troops on the border with currently, yes, Ukraine, but we're also talking about the border with Donbass, this region, that's like, I think it's pretty um, misleading to just be like, Ukraine, and like, erase the past yeah. eight years. Yeah. Um, so that's Colado. Colado. <laughs> See, I'm practicing my Spanish. <laughs> I hope if I speak with an accent, everyone will know I'm speaking Spanish. Just speak English <laughs> with an accent. <clears throat> um, you, okay, questions. Talk to me. I mean, I think I'm, d I, I'm waiting till we get further in, but I, I want to ask about like what the feeling in the city is right now, like what people are doing, the little like day to day stuff, because I do think I mean, me personally, I was pretty surprised. I didn't I did not think that and pardon me for not being super uh, specific, but I was not anticipating that Russia was going to start like doing shit in Western Ukrainian cities. Me I neither. did not yeah, think that I'm was going to happen. And it was, it's really surprising. And, and now, like, I mean, I've been looking at Twitter all day, obviously, and Scary. it does seem like people are responding to it as if it's like a war, which it is, I guess. And I know you were texting saying, like, yeah, you've been going to the ATM a lot. <laughs> and, like, I know. <laughs> Only went once. <laughs> <laughs> She's living at the ATM. <laughs> and like I know people are protesting and stuff and I know obviously like you have a you and in particular your partner have like a very personal connection to this activity both him being from eastern Ukraine originally and now like having family in Kiev so I think that like that's also interesting but I want I do want you to like give the cold hard facts context okay well I think I've given the context I don't think I've really talked about the current situation it is really complicated like the um, the the speed at which the the news is escalating is like it's yeah. really really hard to keep track of and like my opinion about it and my predictions of what's going to happen have changed like wildly over the past four days. Yeah. But basically, like recently, when all this news was coming out about like troops on the border, blah blah blah, me and my partner were like kind of of the opinion that um, this is a saber rattling sesh between Russia on the one hand and Ukraine on the other, but Ukraine with its friends behind it, which are its big guy friends, which are the U.S. and NATO allies. So it, it felt like that. It felt like a bunch of like um, provocative findings and like poking each other and being like, we're going to do this. We're going to build up this. And then like NATO sends troops and then Ukraine's building up troops. So it's not like just Russia was doing things without any like in a vacuum. Um, yeah. And in the context of why that was happening, you know, we were pretty cynical about it. It looked like um, had to do with sort of setting up some new relations in Europe because Russia had had this agreement, which I think is now being backed backed away from and has been threatened, being threatened to be backed away from this agreement um, to launch the new pipeline, oil pipeline, from Russia directly to Germany over the north, yeah. Nord Stream 2, which would bypass Ukraine, which they're like, wham, we want that money. And which would also bypass, in a sense, the U.S. as like a provider. 
Um, I see. Okay. So all around that geopolitical context, it seemed kind of like, oh, you all are just like threatening each other and like being saber rattling and being like these like trying to scare the others into into doing things. Um, and like Russia has like demands in that face off over the past few months. There have been particular demands like not letting Ukraine join NATO, which is a completely understandable demand in my opinion. I mean, it's not quite right to like phrase it as demand, but I think it's an understandable opinion. Preference. Preference, given that NATO um, was formed, you know, as a as an anti-communist organization. And yes, we're in the post-communist world, but are we really? In terms of in terms of the face-offs, yeah. is the Cold War did the Cold War ever really end? Um, and also, yeah. Whatever. So, so that's all. Th those are all the things that are brewing that made me and my partner, who I consider being more sort of informed about this as a person mm -hmm. from Eastern Ukraine and a person with immediate family in Kiev, that was our opinion up until a few days ago. And we were like, nothing's going to happen. Just scaring each other and it will simmer down. Or if something happens, it will be. Um, so a few days ago, Putin said some the escalation that Putin said, um, and this is what what spurred our, our fears was. Um, Putin, Putin, the Russian government, um, officially recognized those self-declared republics as independent states. The crazy thing—they oh, hadn't done that before, right? The crazy thing is okay. Russia hadn't done that the past eight years. Oh, and that's interesting. a ve very okay. important, like, diplomatic moment because Russia, though Russia has been unofficially. Eating. Unofficially, yeah, aiding and involved with the conflict, conflict, <laughs> conflict over the past eight years, um, and I think that's pretty much proven. I don't think that's like Russia officially admitted to that, but I think it's pretty much clear that that's been happening. Like Russian um, uh, military uh, tech, technica things, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, tanks, tanks, peoples. Computers. Um, but not in an official way, nothing like now. So that's all been happening behind the scenes. And the kind of idea there was like, of Russia being involved was like defending these sort of, I don't want to say ethnic Russians, but defending these like Russian speaking um, people and these people who at the beginning around this whole 2014 um, split in the country, the people in Eastern Ukraine started just by protesting against the current government in Kiev. Because they didn't okay. want that, like very that government was very much pro um, joining the European Union, joining yeah. like you mean the West post Maidan. Yeah, and so yeah. this all this conflict actually started with like a split, you know, in sentiment in the country, and then it it, it very easily mapped onto much more sort of scary and problematic things like traits, like language, and that things that encourage ethnic cleansings or kind of genocides yeah. within a place um, and traits you're born with. <laughs> um, and so, so like all this time that Russia has been, you know, officially kind of supportive of uh, Eastern Ukraine, Donbass, and, you know, like an actually giving, giving military aid there, they haven't, like despite all of that, Russia never actually officially recognized those republics as independent. 
because Meaning like yeah they never recognize them as republics independent of ukraine yeah because that would have been like a that's a huge diplomatic move to ukraine being like yeah these are actually not part of ukraine anymore these are separate states kind of yeah. like i mean it would just be severe and we were like that there was like a rumor going around that like maybe this was going to happen a few weeks ago that like russia would finally recognize that as like a sort of political move first to set up other things in motion as they did but that's also in doing that they broke the the minsk agreement which is kind of a it was a series of like peace talks between okay. ukraine and, between ukraine and russia and uh that happened within the past eight years yeah yeah Okay. It happened around the conflict in Ukraine. It's a specific okay. peace talk for the conflict in Ukraine. So one of the th one of the like parts of the peace talks, one of the parts of the agreement rather, um, was to not recognize uh, the republics. Okay. So 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 Putin, so the Russian government breaks that. They recognize um, the republics as independent, and this happens a few days ago, a couple of days ago, literally, and that was like the beginning of like, at least my mindset shift, because. Um, Kind of like the first, the first thought that like my partner put out was, okay, but which part? Like, what are we calling these republics? Because there, there are the actual borders of the republics before the conflict, before the split, when it was just okay. like the Lugansk region and the Donetsk region. There's like mm -hmm. the actual borders of that, and then there's the borders that currently exist, which have this zone where the fighting's been happening, where Ukrainian troops are stationed. And, like, if you say it's the old borders, the original borders of the regions, then that implies you need to do some fighting to get the Ukrainian military out of there. Okay, because the old border is past where the current Ukrainian, like, it's slightly further west. zone is. Okay. All right. So that was, like, the question of the day, kind of, like, what's going to happen? What does that imply? And then it came out that... Uh, Russia meant, yeah, the old borders. So then everyone's like, oh, shit. Um, How did that come out? They made it clear. They're like, we were recognizing these existing yeah. states or whatever. Yeah, I don't okay. know. remember the exact phrasing. Um, like, historic. I don't remember the exact phrasing. But so that was a couple days ago. And then, like, nothing happened right away. Just a bunch of countries, like, making statements about sanctions and, like, condemning Russia and Russia's bad and, like, finger wagging and sanction, sanction, sanction. And then, um, well, this morning, so since this morning, February 24th, a whole life has been lived. A, a side note for that is like this morning, I was like, okay, I listen to the news and I'm listening to WNYC. Um, and they have Amy Klobuchar on for, you know, like, I don't know. They have Amy Klobuchar on to talk about the conflict and she's going on and on about sanctions and just like being like, we're targeting the oligarchs piggy bank. It's just like, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> They're piggy banks? Yeah, I don't know. That's like her like cutesy way of referring to it. It's like you people sanction Russia all the fucking time. It does absolutely nothing. Yeah. And also... Uh, it's like we're targeting individuals. It's like nobody fucking cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, that's really going to help. <laughs> um, yeah, so so this morning, I guess, like, yeah, my opinion has changed even more from this morning because what's, you know, there's been updates 
like coming from the news sources that I'm reading. So this today specifically, I have read zero Western news. I've okay. only been following R Russian independent media like Medusa and like Lenta, um, TV Rain, Dorst, and that in Telegram where they just post the short version hmm. every two minutes. Like there's a news every two minutes. It's okay. really intense. And I've also been, well, actually, no, I, I, I haven't really been. My partner has been also in parallel, like, listening, was listening to a live stream from our favorite Shari, remember him? Mm -hmm. Who, despite falling out of favor in our family, um, because he <laughs> got into politics and just got annoying. Um, oh, no. He, like, ran for office. Okay, wait, pre it's, sorry, just explain real quick who you're talking about. So Shari is, like, a very prominent Ukrainian journalist and he has his independent youtube like media yeah. um his blog on youtube but like he he runs i would say he like runs an independent media or he runs a media himself because they also have a site and stuff wait doesn't wife. he also like have an oyster farm yeah i don't yeah he okay so he's been <laughs> but he's they been, don't live in ukraine they live in like yeah Paris he's been a political exile like in france for years since okay. the, since 2014 i think um or maybe soon after self-elected I guess that's what well, most political exi exiles. I mean, are. he was his life was being threatened. It wasn't like he just okay. was like, I feel like France would be nice. <laughs> so, so, and then he's been basically like he's made his like life mission with his wife. Like they've been reporting on Ukraine and surrounding bullshit since. Mm. Um, Wait, and he's from Eastern Ukraine originally. I don't think so. I don't know where he's oh, from. Okay, I think probably okay. Kiev. Uh, okay. So Anatoly Shari. And like his, the cool thing that gave sort of gave his live stream um, its value today was that he did a ten-hour live stream. First of yeah. all, um, was the cool thing was that he's built up this team over the years of like journalists and and report, uh, journalists and contacts and stuff, correspondents all over Ukraine, every part, like all east, west, whatever, um, who provide like the reporting for. Mm -mm. for him um and i'm sure he still does his multiple daily talks i'm sure he's still doing that regularly but for this live stream it was like they were sending him updates and he was basically just reading them okay. the whole time um and he had like three at one point he had three hundred thousand people watching well because he was like ahead in some ways he had in some aspects the news was like ahead of the media um yeah. things that were happening on the ground so that's what we've been looking at today, and it's just been really scary and surprising because, yeah, I think from the past couple of days, um, we just expected if there would be any hot conflict, it would remain in that, like, zone in Eastern in Ukraine. In the Eastern Ukraine, yeah. yeah. And it would be about, even if, like, it happened after this whole, like, oh, we're recognizing the republics, um, and that means that there has to be some fighting, we still kind of thought, okay, it's going to take place between the Ukrainian military the separatists like, se separatists but that's we're, we're a, air quoting people that's a that's a coded word but like yeah. the um the M whatever the military mil militia in, they, in we, they call Eastern them the militia regions. okay militia uh military of the like the self-declared republics which like my partner calls the militia so that's interesting and um and and russia like obviously official russian military yeah. so that was what we expected. Um, what has been really kind of scary, I think, and shocking for everyone today is like those are the people fighting, yes, but the but the Russian military has been 
stepping into other parts of Ukraine outside of that zone and has taken, non-violently, but like come in and basically taking control of Ukrainian cities that are like a little bit further west than Donbass. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is surprising. (laughs) Surprising. Yeah. Um, And I think like now we're looking at, so it's the evening of February 24th, everyone's waiting for the presidents of Ukraine and Russia to have talks. Like they, there's been a day of this really scary time. And a little bit about like what's happening on the ground, that's probably interesting. So um, another thing, oh, sorry, before I get into what's happening on the ground, like it's just, it's, it kind of reminds me of COVID stuff, like not to compare, but like, I know it's totally different issue, but um, the way that like your mind can't believe things and then re-believes things and then things like what you're worried about changes. And like, yeah. it, 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 it's kind of reminding of that because like even a few days ago, we were still openly like kind of in a, <laughs> like fighting with my partner about him going to Kiev. Because he was supposed to go this weekend. Yeah. He's Regar- to- regardless of like, like prior to like he had planned to go for family yeah. yeah family stuff he had planned because he yeah. has like immediate family as i said in both east and west but he had planned to go to the western official part of ukraine kiev mm. the capital yeah. um long ago and he was like very uh, intent on not changing his plans for this like family event not changing yeah. his plans um it, until a couple of days ago and Sorry, until today, <laughs> I should say. And so, like, it just the way that... And even then, like, we were talking about... I mean, even if he wanted to go, he couldn't, right? Unless he went, like, all the way around. Like, he'd have to go to, through, like, Belarus or something. Poland. Poland. You can't go, to go Belarus all the way to Poland. That's dangerous. Like, troops are there. Okay. So he'd have to fly to Poland and then take the bus from Poland. To yeah. And it's not... Kiev. un. It's not impossible that that will happen. Okay. Because... <laughs> <laughs> because basically because basically like it, like his kind of thing right now is that he like well it's just wait and see and he also yeah. wants to see what the situation is himself to like decide what to do but um yeah. it's even when you have like people there it's still hard to understand what's going on but uh yeah like the way our our conversations have changed like we were like i was thinking just a couple weeks ago even while this conflict was happening i was like like oh I'll also like I'll like join you in Kiev and then we can like go to Odessa and celebrate your birthday and like Odessa is currently like possibly I mean it hasn't been but it like could be taken over that is like mind-blowing just to say those words that like the Russian military could like come into Odessa it's really crazy yeah blows your mind um so I'm not going to. Lord get. knows the Jews aren't good at fighting. <laughs> okay, they all left <laughs> after they were pogroms. Yeah, to go fight in Palestine. Um, okay, different issue. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Shy note. I won't derail us. She's part Jewish, so it's okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to dox you. Um, <laughs> so, like. That's a little bit about the psychological, I guess, state of things, but um, on the ground stuff. Because, like, the other thing about on the ground stuff is, like, like I said, it is hard to actually know 
what's happening. But I can tell you from direct reports that we're getting from my partner's family um, and from media sources that I trust, uh, Kiev, the capital, has been, like today, basically, um, the Russian military did a attack on, attacked, destroyed, destroyed, um, destroyed, a military, well, I can't remember exactly what it was, but basically, like, the Russian military, like, openly said, we're going to be focusing on, like, attacking military infrastructure, we're, like, yeah. not about civilian zones, we're not trying to attack any cities, we're I not mean, trying to do anything that's what people like that. always say. Y yeah, of course. Um, um, and so there was like an, a, a military infrastructure attack very close to Kiev and so people heard it. So that was really scary. And then later in the day, um, um, at some point there were reports of planes and helicopters flying around, which is like very, very scary. Yeah. Um, and you don't, you never know what's going to happen. So it, so far, at least at the time of us speaking right now, there haven't been any like airstrikes or shellings or bombings of civilian buildings or anything like that. Nothing like that in any city. But, I mean, in Western Ukraine. But uh, there have been Russian, what appears to be Russian planes, like over Kiev, which just creates like basically like terror. And yeah. people from the very beginning of, from the morning, early in the morning when people, um, when this all started happening, people have been in like full, you know, like war zone panic mode where they do like, they, they try to leave, for example. So all the gas stations had like lines, some gas stations ran out of gas because people were trying to like go somewhere, whether it's like outside the city, if they have like a dacha or something, or to a border or something. And then like at some point during the day, Poland said that it would be, would open up refugee points to let people in. Yeah, so like mass, what you would expect, mass people trying to leave, um, which causes, you know, gridlock traffic, getting out of the city and lots of scary situations like that. And then. And, and why has your partner's family chosen not to leave? Do you have like a good um, reason I that? think. Yeah, I, I think it's a couple of reasons. One of them is that they don't have a car. They don't okay. have, they kind of, they sort of have a place to go, but it would be like, I don't know, it might not be the most comfortable, but they have like a relative in Pol in Poland. And then I, I don't they're think fine. they're ready to like go to a refugee camp at this point. It's not, it's not yeah, I'm, level. Yeah, I understand. Um, and then they're they're also kind of just going off their instinct and being like, for now, we're like waiting and seeing like how bad things get. Um, I think it's and and the options for going from Ukraine to Russia are like like they would have to go to Poland first and then fly to Russia and like unclear if they'd be able to with a Ukrainian passport. I think they would because because they're also from Eastern Ukraine, and it says so in the Eastern passport. Ukraine. I think they would be able to go, but yeah, in okay. an indirect path. You can't just, like, go through okay. the military parts right now. Um, the the parts where there's where there's fighting. But, uh, 
Yeah, so, like, I guess that's the mix of reasons, and it's kind of, like, waiting and seeing. But I think, you know, they're, like, really freaked out. I don't want to, like, <laughs> you know, not act yeah. like they're just, like, chilling. They've just been home all day, like, locked in an apartment, like, panicking since 4 a.m., you know? It's, like... And um, staying, like, staying inside is the best idea in this kind of situation because if there is any, uh, like... I don't know, just, you just don't want to, you just don't want to be in, like, crowded places, and there could be a lot of, there could be, like, diversion tactics, I don't want to use, like, the T word, but um, things happen, and so um, it's a really unstable time, so it's, like, you don't, like, go in, like, transport or, like, go around, but obviously, yeah, some people have chosen to leave if they can, Um, and then the other thing that's, like, happening there is, as you would expect, like, financially, Everything shuts down, which really hard for regular people. Um, so bank runs, just the sense of people like need to get cash, and like then the banks run out of cash, and then um, people's cards are blocked or whatever. Bank accounts are blocked from other banks internationally, um, and then like uh, the just the financial system starts falling apart, and. Um, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, some of the things people are dealing with right now as of today. Um, it's, it's, I think it's worse in, in Kharkov, definitely, because that city is closer to Russia, closer to the conflict zone, and it actually, like, some, some, there was some, some fighting even closer there, um, and I've heard, I've seen reports of, like, people going to the metro, I don't know if you heard about this, like going to the metro as a bomb shelter. Yeah, um, I did see that. And just like staying there indefinitely. So there's like, you know, these sort of unofficial like camps forming um, that maybe also... Yeah. What's what's going on with the people in eastern Ukraine? Like what are, what's, what are his relatives doing there? Is it is it mostly just the same as it has been? So um, it's mostly the same as it has been in most parts. Um, I think parts like in the zone getting our there's there's some fighting there so that's obviously uh, they're getting like damaged and there's been casualties and stuff but I mean the mo- the most of the region and the part where like where my partner's family is um the only the real effect of today was electricity went out uh for a while okay so infrastructural stuff and then now everything's fine so it seems okay because like a few a few how did you know a week ago um the first like wave of panic that happened about a week ago in that region was that the like of the official governments of those of the self-declared republics um they they said like they decided to like close borders um do a draft or they said they were doing a draft military draft um and they were evacuating women and children. It didn't happen in a like real organized way. I think it just happened sporadically. But like my partner okay. and and his friends who have family there as well were all trying to decide like, do we go like get our grandparents, you know? Like or do we get yeah. them? like what, what should we do? And things sort of settled and now everyone's focused back on the big eye of Sauron. What Media is okay. focused on Kiev now. Um as usual, and that will bring me to my last important point in my rant, which will be about why nobody ever pays attention to Donbass. Or not why, but just, like, how. Um, so, 
yeah, like, seems fine there now. And again, to just, just reiterate the history, for people in that region, in eastern Ukraine, electricity going out is like normalna. Like, it happened mm. periodically. It's not scary to them. They've lived with, like, that... They've lived with their electricity being out for a long time, and it was, like, really horrible, and, you know, um, without water. That was really horrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not scary to them now because they've been having... To yeah, yeah, exactly. For, like, almost I just mean because of the past yeah. eight years. Be- it was definitely, yeah. like, really fucking scary um, and really just, like, wild, like... And now it's just, like, the quality of life is much Yeah, and now it's just, like, this is our everyday life. So, um, and then, like, yeah, in... Well, you don't care what's happening. In Russia, everything's, like, fine. Though people... (laughs) I'm hearing, like... So, so the things happening in Russia, at least, so in my experience, um, everything looks, like, everything's completely normal in St. Petersburg. Uh, But I'm just hearing a lot of, like, hearing people talk about it, which makes sense. Kind of nice social like just hearing people talk about something together <laughs> sucks that it's a war um yeah and then the like bank experience i had which is that like there is kind of the start of not a full-blown bank run but like full-blown bank run but people want to get cash now so some atms are out of cash um and i had that experience because and you also have to understand historically like why do post-soviet people immediately, I mean, all people, I think, in many places, but specifically post-Soviet people need cash or trust cash more um, because, like, not very long ago, like, within this past, um, the generation of, like, even less than our parents, people saw their life savings completely obliterated because the banking system changed or um, was destroyed, essentially, and, like, leveled. And they, they saw different, in different periods, just, like, complete wipeout so really hard to trust banks um but you know it's funny because like people the sentiment in russia is very like oh at least in my sort of my um liberal social yeah liberal uh, in the western sense of liberal social circle the sentiment is very like oh, like, we're so ashamed to be Russian, like, how horrible, like, um, and also because Russia's actively, officially involved, it's also, like, we're panicking, we're scared, we want to get out of wherever, um, though there's no, like, conflict happening. Um, I mean, there's some, like, effects, like, all the southern airports, major southern airports in Russia were closed today, which is, like, a big deal. Um, But the financial reaction has been the strongest. So, like, um, the ruble dropped, like, dropped in value or has, like, the highest rate to the dollar, uh, like, ever, I want to say. Um, yeah, well, higher okay. than in 2014. And the Moscow and St. Petersburg stock exchanges just had to close periodically, and, like, throughout the day, they weren't working, and they probably will also not be able to fully mm-hmm. function tomorrow. Um, so... Yeah, financially, there's problems here, but so far, like not violently. But you were gonna, you were gonna say you, when you're mentioning the eye of Sauron, you're Sauron, Sauron. You were saying like, you had started saying like, yeah, this is something that bothers me, but then we got sidetracked. Yeah, so it's about how the people who are f- actually from Donbass feel that thing. Well, 
Well, I don't know what you were going to say, but I would assume I would ass- I thought that the angle you were getting at was just like ultimately Western media doesn't care about Eastern Ukraine that much. Yeah. Like they're more intent on covering Kiev because Kiev is like a recognizable European city or something or is considered more European. The heart of Europe. Um, the what? heart of Europe. Uh, the heart of <laughs> no, Europe. No, I guess I would say maybe what I was interrupting myself a lot and I, maybe I was saying... Um, that the thing that bothers me about what Russians are doing is that Russians also have a tendency to not care about the people in Donbass, Russian, Russian media as well. Mm. Or not even media, but like sent public sentiment. So what you're seeing in social, social networks right now, like posts on Instagram and stuff, it's, yeah. um, that's bothering me because it's not just a Western media blind spot. Um, and... So this is getting, I'll transition into like the sentiment of people that I know and their friends um, who are from Donbass, from the eastern part of Ukraine, the self-declared republics. Um, You know, they, it's like, I would say that most of these people Let's take my partner, for example, but I really think that he represents a lot of people in this sense. They were born with a Ukrainian passport in Ukraine. They, yeah, they spoke Russian at home, but they were not like anti-Ukrainian. That's like, they were not yeah. like born in these new republics and like being all like excited about that and really separatist and anti-Russian, like definitely not. Um, they're the yeah. first post-Soviet generation. They're like, you know, there's a lot of other things going on there, a lot of dynamics. Um, mm the past eight years have created a sort of sentiment because there's been like actual fighting and actual civil war. It's created an anti-Ukrainian sentiment and an anti-Russian sentiment on the other side. Um, And it's been a sort of self-perpetuating cycle, violence, propaganda, violence, propaganda, uh, and like actual feeling. So when... Mm -hmm. Like, what is bothering me right now and, and what people from Donbass are saying are that they're like, where were you guys eight years ago? Where were all you people protesting or feeling all bad and shit? Like, people posting yeah. Ukrainian flags in Instagram. It's like, again, these are Russian people, for example, who um, in doing that are kind of showing that they don't understand the complexity of the situation. And, and again, like they're insinuating that there's just this like one united Ukraine with its flag that they like feel bad for mm-hmm. and they feel embarrassed that like their bad country, Russia, like attacked this independent budding nation <laughs> that <laughs> um, that's all one. And yeah, it, it, like the sentiment is basically... Let me just see if I can read something. Oh, I don't have to like butcher. Oh, I'll just butcher by translating. <laughs> Perfect. Um, basically, like one of these friends posted a, a story on Instagram just with text that said like, like basically, you know, what I've been saying. We need to remember that um, this war didn't start today. 
Um, everyone in Ukraine is like in shock and panic right now. Everyone in, in you know, pr Ukraine proper is in shock and panic. Like, how could it happen to us? Like, what's happening? When the people from the Lugansk and Donetsk republics are just, they're like, this shock and panic for those people is like offensive, according to this person. Like, it's a... Because th they were experienced in us eight years ago and nobody seemed to be that Yeah, concerned. it's like, can, it's offensive. Like, can you... Can you imagine, like, living the way that we lived for eight years? Um, it not and, and not just, like, living in, in shitty conditions and stuff, but, like, again, let's go back to, like, what was actually happening in the beginning, in the, most, in the worst part of the conflict. These are what was actually happening in, in, in Donbass was Ukrainian military were actually... For you uh, were actually like bombing civilian buildings. They were actually killing civilians. You know, all, yeah. all this was real things that have like first, first-hand experience from these people. And it's a civil war. I get it. Like, yeah, we we know this happens. You bomb your own people in a civil war. But it feels really like basically the impression is that. In the beginning, eight years ago, when this started happening, um, there were all sorts of narratives created like, oh, it's, it's not actually bombing people, it's provocation. They're like b essentially bombing themselves or like, like the, remember that story that I broke down about like the bombing of the government building in Lugansk, the, the shell mm, that hit the, yeah. and they were like, it was an air conditioner that exploded. Like the propaganda is heavy <laughs> and it's been like yeah. that the whole time, which essentially is saying like the militia is just like this bunch of idiots that have just been like bombing themselves for eight years well it's it's interesting because uh, and i i don't know i didn't like go and confirm this but uh, the number that's being thrown around on twitter a lot it, it, people are like really coming all over themselves <laughs> to like s express how emotional they are about this but um which is understandable to be emotional but also it's like a lot of like journalists who you know are just like loving it but one the number that's being thrown around a lot is that like Russia has killed fourteen thousand Ukrainians, like presumably in this like Eastern Ukrainian conflict, and it's interesting to now use that number as like I don't know, it's just being like deployed in this like what you called like the strong in that it's a very clear narrative about who's on which side and to take like the number 14,000 people, which granted is like a lot of people um, in this specific Eastern Ukrainian context and then kind of use it as a way to like, um, like, yeah, sympathize or not that Ukraine shouldn't receive sympathy, obviously, like yeah. they're being invaded. That's really bad. Like civilians are at risk, et cetera. Um, but using this number out of the context of, of when it happened and kind of just like letting that exist as like, um, I mean, honestly, it's like probably interpreted by people reading in Western media as like people in Western Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like kind of just like forgetting about the conflict that ha has been going on for eight years, like a conflict that as you know, these people are saying like nobody was really seemed particularly concerned with at the time that it was happening. I mean, and even and even honestly, you you're like talking about it like you and your partner were like 
less worried when you thought that the conflict was going to be heightened in these areas where the conflict was already extant. Yeah. Um, and now that it's moving into Western Ukraine, it is scary. Like the boundary of the conflict is moving in a way where like, oh, well, you can build this narrative in your head where people in Eastern Ukraine are actually Russian and they've declared themselves separate. Like you can say all these things regardless of what people on the ground are actually like feeling or doing or saying. Um, and your brain can accommodate it because it's been going on for so long. So you can accommodate like a varying amount of conflict in a zone where there's already war happening. Yeah. But then to move the boundary of that war is scary. Yeah, and that number is really... Sorry for the pop the notification telegram. Um, that number is really... I'm not sure what that number is. Is that the total deaths? I think it's, I yeah, think it's the total from what I'm looking at really quickly here on Wikipedia. I think it's the... Here on the internet. I think it's the total number of casualties in the conflict, like official number of casualties in the entire conflict. Yeah. Which, yeah, when you say, like, Ukrainians, that's very misleading because it sounds like you're saying the Ukrainian military side, the official Ukrainian side. Right, and you're saying that Russians killed Ukrainians, and there's no, like, context for what that means. Right, and, like, the fact... And it's so easy to fit that number into this, like, new narrative that's been constructed. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the fact is, I don't know how many people, I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I don't know if that is, like, so important to have the exact numbers. I don't know how many yeah. people exactly have died in the Ukrainian military, the official military, which has been fighting since 2014, and in the, like, militia from the, you know, separate yeah. states. Um, and civilian, I know there's... There's 3,000 civilians. I would assume most of those people, I would, I'm like almost 100% sure the vast majority of those three to 4,000 civilian deaths, official number, so it's probably more, um, have taken place in Donbass because that's where the shelling was. And like, yeah. I, I personally yeah. know people who like, I, I personally know them. Obviously, my partner knows many more people, but I personally know people who like, had their like watched their friends had their friends die like this is like not a thing that is you know made up or can be explained by some some kind of summary like russian russians killed 14,000 ukrainians it's just not yeah. like it's a yeah. civil war so yeah ukrainian like the exact death counts i don't know but um it yeah like if we just look at civilians like that that's that's a huge number of people and in a small relatively small population um and like that i think is what is so offensive right now about the reaction to people from donbass is like it's not that no one reacted then but partly it's like because russia wasn't like officially involved or the russian military wasn't officially involved yeah. then russians didn't like go and protest and take up arms because I mean, some, I'm sure there were some, and, like, God bless you, I'm sure you're out there, um, <laughs> people who were, like, against uh, against all the military militarization and the conflict. But it's, you know, there were these big moments, like Crimea um, being annexed, which was not a bloody thing. <laughs> to cite what you'd like yeah. to think, listen to our episode about Crimea, peacefully, sort of. Um, uh, <laughs> well, maybe not peacefully. Well, it was yeah. with force, but without casualties, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so that was a big thing that people like protested and were like, 
Crimea, Crimea, big thing for Russians. But it's like, this has been happening, and because the people in Donbass were just framed as like, you like separatists who brought this upon themselves or something, like they're kind of always like not seen as like victims in a way, even though even the civilians, they're all yeah. just put into this one big kind of like rude image of like a wild militia man. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, even even that, I feel like that, and I don't remember the details now, but my impression of that movie that we went and watched that was like, a had mockumentary vibes of Donbass, like the the individual's, the individual civilians represented within that movie were like, or maybe, it, wait, no, was it actually a documentary? No. I think it was. Was it? I'm like forgetting now. Okay, at any <laughs> rate, was. the representation or the portrayal of these people was like really just like a negative portrayal of like civilians, like kind of idiotic. Dehumanized. Like dehumanized, like, um, like, kind of jingoistic patriots who yeah like in the way that you're describing kind of deserve what they're what they're receiving like they're asking for it i do think though it's it's because the narrative before like of the eastern ukrainian conflict is much more that of like what you're saying civil war there's a complexity there or like a barrier to entry for other countries like when a country's having a civil war it's like there is kind of a tendency to back off because you just are like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. You know, Russia hasn't officially declared like they're involved. People speak Russian. I'm not, there's all this propaganda. So it's easier. And then I think some ways good that people are like less ready to just like jump in and like declare what their opinion on the matter is. But this particular conflict, like the world has united in its narrative mm -hmm. of what's happening. And so it's much easier for anybody, including Russian citizens to like, declare what their opinion is because it's safer and you don't really need that much information you can just grab whatever the narrative is. yeah yeah and i think that that's definitely true and that explains like why it's happening um and the, the other part of why this feels offensive or really unfair i think for for people from Donbass is is the scale so like the like the, i am again i'm not saying like i don't we're very scared about what's happening in Ukraine. It's like really scary and bad. It's not, it's not like yeah. nothing's happening. You're idiots. Um, but what is frustrating is, yeah, this sort of outpouring of support for Ukraine right now. Um, this, 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 like the anti-war stance is very pro-Ukraine. Um, and hmm. this outpouring um, of like we need to like support Ukraine. We need to like be brother brotherly love or like handshake symbol with flag. You know, Russia Ukraine flag handshake symbol. Um, it it's so dismissive of yeah the experience of of war of the past eight years of people in Eastern Ukraine, and like um, reducing the 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 whole narrative. But like this this what you just said like really sort of rank rang true for me because like we, we had this uh conversation today with well my partner had this conversation today with someone um he works with where they were just like in passing like mentioned 
the conflict is, you know, it's been the past eight years or whatever. My partner probably mentioned it in like a snarky way. And this person was like, okay, well, but that was like, you know, that was just like, you know, like you guys were figuring stuff out. Like it was like an inner thing. Almost like it was like, it's almost like saying like, I use the metaphor of, um, domestic violence like it's just like a family issue you know it's a personal, it's a personal affair. affair okay it didn't happen in the public yeah. which is also like kind of a bad metaphor but sorry but like that's kind of what they sounded like <laughs> um by being like well that was just amongst you ukrainian people and figuring the, your sh- and the interlocutor was was russian not exactly but uh, i can't really basically okay <laughs> Uh, essentially <laughs> a former soviet person who is not ukrainian okay um okay and that like interpretation like this person is not you know an outsider really i mean they're like a former soviet person no. they're not like from the from america and have no idea what's going on um and their interpretation of the past <laughs> eight years is it's been some kind of like little like skirmish within the country where you yeah. can't but it's like but, like, the actual damage that's been done in Eastern Ukraine, like, all of the civilian deaths, and not just the deaths, I mean, the psychological damage, like, and the, uh, like, utter economic and um, quality of life yeah. ruin, um, like, yeah. which I have seen with my own eyeballs, um, is, you know, it's just such a, such a heavy intense experience and to have it reduced and to have somebody imply that one day of people of like military attacking military in Ukraine is a is worse than the past eight years is like really hard to hear yeah and like everyone from Donbass is basically having like this reaction right now where they feel so like alienated from reality and they also feel like I mean, psychologically, just it's such deja vu. It's like PTSD, like waves of all of this, like coming back. Um, The things that they're seeing, videos they're seeing from Ukraine, um, from the areas where there's military presence um, and things are being like the, the attacks that are happening on military infrastructure. It's like you feel like you're looking at a video from 2014 and it's just like, how is this happening? So, yeah, that's the the kind of sentiment I wanted to get across. Does it make yeah. sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I was thinking about your partner in this specific instance, I mean, for the obvious reasons, but also just like having to do this again. I mean, granted, he's like, he himself is directly out of harm's way in this particular instance, but like to have what is kind of an extensi- extension of the same conflict, like following his immediate family to a place where they probably didn't like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they did. They have a better like sense of the like flimsiness of the world in the in these regards. But just like having to do this again is really, I don't know. It's really yeah. Rough. No, and just like I think ahead. they they I think you're right to assume that when so many people from Eastern Ukraine kind of fled, they went to Kiev, yeah. thinking Kiev would be safe. Like mm-hmm. it's not going to happen in Kiev. Yeah. It's not going to happen again. Yeah. Many people went to Russia as well um, and <laughs> still think that it's not going to happen in Russia and I sure as shit hope they're right. Um, but that is definitely true. Like there's a, dis- it's like a, yeah. 
what is that called? A cognitive dissonance. Like, the things that you're seeing, you yeah. just can't believe. And, and they had yeah. that experience, yeah. like, they had that experience from the very beginning in 2014 where you're just like, yeah, you can, you probably, it's hard for most people to imagine, like, life in, a, like, a small town in Eastern Ukraine. A war No, 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 I mean before the war. Oh. But, like, yeah, yeah. it was like, you know, if you know any post-Soviet city, any listeners here know any post-Soviet city, it was, like, a, you know, industrial post-Soviet experience. Um, and then if you don't, then whatever, but like just normalcy. Right. And so they've already had this experience of having like, even this like patched together post Soviet, <laughs> post nineties normalcy seeming like very, uh, stable, completely just destroyed and lives completely yeah. thrown off and people having to like completely like let go of everything they've had in their adult life, like, or child life, yeah. whatever and then have it, having that, like, seem to be repeating now is, yeah, like you said, it's just, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> they're in shock also. It's like. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a tendency from, like, the Americans' perspective, just because we're so used to, like, wars existing out in the world and not affecting us. It's, like, really easy for Americans to, like, I don't know, like, to just kind of, um, like not, uh, assimilate the idea or, or or integrate the idea that like other people have to deal with war and like that it's not super disorienting and confusing to those people that suddenly are like confronted with this reality that they like would somehow oh well you're on the border of Russia or like you're a former Soviet state so you would like be prepared to be in a war zone but like I think people in the West where maybe in recent history or through some sort of myth feel that their borders are very secure and that like the threat of violence is like relatively low, even if that's not the actual reality. But, you know, we've constructed these narratives to tell ourselves like I think it's hard to understand the like the surreality of being a person living in this situation. Because you kind of, I think, people have this assumption that, like, oh, well, they they live in a conflict zone. So, like, they're, like, understand how that works. And, like, yeah, it sucks. But, like, they are able to, like, integrate that reality. And, and I think, like, that part of the experience of, of war being reintroduced is kind of lost. Yeah. Yeah. Or just, like, yeah, for the people who... Ha who I don't know. Like reintroduce, introduce for the first time. Just, I I think you're right. Like just this, the idea that people living in this part of the world would be like somehow <laughs> more ready for that or something. Just because like I mean the Soviet Union just ended and there was all this stuff. It's like you'd be surprised how quickly people set up normalcy, like for themselves. Yeah. Like, it doesn't yeah. take very long to like you know put into place like behaviors and traditions and like infrastructure to make things feel like peaceful normal times um yeah and so yeah it's it's it, it kind of like reminds me remember like at the beginning of covid like the narrative especially the states was like we're in a war zone <laughs> yeah. like, and you're always like you have no fucking idea <laughs> like if you think this is a war zone yeah Body boy. Yeah, it's hard. Okay, wait, we should, it, we're at one, like 120, okay. so we should, COVID. we should wrap. Uh, 
COVID. I'm going to assemble and publish. Assemblage. But if you could send me a description and a title. Yeah. I'm having deja vu. And PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have my... Okay. Oh, yeah, hold on one sec. I have my notes in front of me, so you know how I don't like to end. Okay. I like to just keep going and uh-huh. going. Yeah. Uh, um, I think I covered my key points. You would love to do a 10-hour <laughs> <laughs> If only I was a famous vlogger. Um, I could do a 10-hour. We have like three watchers, one of which is <laughs> back. <laughs> my correspondent. <laughs> um, yeah, we did it. You know what we didn't get into is the like. I mean, I don't, I don't know the why, the why, which we can't really get into. There's just a lot of like so much detail. Ugh. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think that if we're feeling like we want to do this again, we can. So we don't need to pack everything in. But Smith, this is our one chance to tell people about Eastern Ukraine. If we don't tell them, a what? Like, oh, chance. okay, whatever. We're done. But like the the thing. Well, you know, you could you could do that episode. It's only been like four years. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> could go back. Okay. For, I don't Shut think we up. ever said this on the podcast, but. Yes, we wait, did. I want to say, fine, I'm, fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I just want to like okay, say I'm that fine. this happened. Many years ago when we were still actively doing the podcast, Lily went to Eastern Ukraine and made a bunch of recordings <laughs> and like did a bunch of effort. And then we just <laughs> never made the episode. So because I couldn't there exists it. the potential. You couldn't. Meanwhile, like you did go. There were other times where you went out and you recorded people, and you would like translate like an insane amount of conversation, like in a day. But for se- there was a yeah, block. I, I felt like I couldn't put it together and like translate it all, and it just seemed hard. Yeah, yeah. But I've been telling anecdotes yeah. from it. I think I've told anecdotes on other. Well, maybe not on other podcasts. Save that for another day. Yeah. I mean, I would like to do like a. I don't know how it would work, but like a bilingual episode with you and your partner. But then I don't know. We would have to. I I do know like a large percentage of our listeners are Russian, so they mm-hmm. could just listen to it and have a nice time. And then the Americans could get you your version of it, like as you're like translating in real time. I mean, yeah, I I, it would it would be a little maybe, awkward. Yeah. But, but I mean, there's it's definitely like it's developing so fast. So yeah, there's probably room for more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just the, it's such a, like, geopolitical, like, acrobatic, just looking at how all the pieces had to fit in, like, the, looking at it now, it's, like, some things are falling into place, but, like, all of the moves, like, the fact that for the past years, the Russian government has been making a simplified citizenship path for Eastern Ukrainians, which you know about, because mm-hmm. like yeah. I, yeah. that's personally a plan, um, which is basically like me. What that means at the end of the day, though, is like you have like six hundred thousand Russian passport holding people in Donbass, you know. And so suddenly, you're like, we are saving actual citizens. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Putin, that little oh, rascal. It's so much, it's so much. But anyways, um, th- oh yeah. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the like Putin, Putin. aspect of I it. I've never seen him this pissed in my life. He, he, he's not doing, you know how he normally does his like cold, like you are an idiot thing when he speaks? And he's like mm-hmm. very diplomatic, very sardonic or 
something and he just can like cut people yeah. he's like he's angry like I just can hear this difference in his voice where he's like he's like you in this speech he gave the other night he was like you you're as you wanted decommunization like we'll show you decommunization <laughs> something like that yeah Whoa, like threatening shit. All right. um who gets so angry when they're an old man? He's so so angry. He's so old. Um, I don't know. Have, wait, one one linguistic moment that I also wanted to clarify because I I'm curious if you've heard it. Did you know? Like, so the official thing. He's seventy. Sixty nine. Oh. The official okay, like thing that Putin declared today was a sp- special military operation. Mm, okay. And the goal. The declared goal it was a special military military operation in Ukraine to de demilitarize Ukraine. Funny, okay. right? Yes, and I did see that. Yeah. This word denazify or something. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and like that is a really interesting word, and I'm seeing it's getting a lot of uh angry press in Israel. But uh it's basically like, well, the word in Russian comes, like, the word nots is really close to the word, like, nation or national, nationalism. But it okay. is talking about okay. a process of, like, denazification is a process specifically, like, about um, specifically about, like, reducing, stopping um, actual, like, actual effects of Nazi Germany, like the actual ideological effects of Nazi Germany. I see, Um, okay. Which, as far as I know, because I... He's trying to get his Stalin glory. At first I thought it was, like, a mistranslation. I was like, did he mean, is it supposed to be translated as, like, denationalization in English? Like, to not be Mm. so nationalist? It's like radical nationalism yeah. is like Nazism, but so the narrative he's can well, let's not go down this rabbit hole. But the narrative is he's constructing is that like Nazi Germany ideologies are still very present in Ukraine, and that is true. That is true. That is definitely <laughs> true. And like, okay, let's 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 end officially, there. Officially, <laughs> they're officially Nazis. No, just kidding. I, I told you this before. Fine, we can end. Yeah, I know. I know. All right. Like, this that this was she's Nazis. in Russia. <laughs> Sorry. Nights 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 hunting. Um all right. Maybe we'll see you on the next episode. Maybe there won't be an next Wait, didn't episode. wasn't there a different closeout? It, it like subscribe to our Patreon and call our hotline, which don't oh. exist anymore. Just like support us. Oh <laughs> support <laughs> us in doing the podcast more. Yeah, yeah. If you actually, there's been talk of the podcast coming back. I don't think it actually will. But if you're really into that idea, let us know. Let us know, and then maybe we'll be we'll feel inspired to do let so. Let us know. Nobody responds. <laughs> <laughs> nobody listens, and nobody responds. <laughs> All right, I'm stopping recording. You stop yours, I'm also. Scared. Okay? What do I do? Ready? Press the red button. One, two. Yeah. One, two, three. Stop.